Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Monday, Hour 2. If you missed any of Hour 1, it was sure fun. I appreciate it. Pastor David Miles and Patrick coming on in Hour 1. This is going to be a great hour as well. Dawson Muska is going to be joining me in just a minute. You may be familiar with that last name for good reason. He's the son of Dr. Mark Muska. So we're going to be looking forward to meeting him on the air and, and learning about his work and his family. And then George Barna is going to be joining us in uh, the second part of the hour. So that's going to be the show, which means don't go anywhere, but I'm guessing maybe you've got nowhere to go right now because we're still sheltering in. So let me take a little break, and I'll bring on Dawson. I'm Faith Radio Manager Neil Stabum with a special welcome to new friends listening to us on 103.3 FM in Wilmer, Minnesota. This new signal just went on the air a few weeks ago, and it was just a few months ago that we added a signal in Mankato, Minnesota at 89.1. The daily Bible teaching and talk programming on Faith Radio will bring encouragement to your life. We're so glad to have you listening. And to the many friends who give to keep Faith Radio on the air, thanks for your continued support, which allows this ministry to grow in coverage and in impact. Are you in need of encouragement? The Max Lucado Encouraging Word Study Bible combines contextual margin notes and insights from best-selling author and pastor Max Lucado. This resource includes a 30-day reading plan designed to help you form a habit of spending time reading the scriptures, a daily devotional to keep you going, and articles that bring people of the Bible to life. With a helpful topical index of verses for every situation, you'll find answers and encouragement in the Max Lucado Encouraging Word Study Bible. We're giving away one copy each week. Enter to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. show. So glad to have Dawson Muska on the show for the first time. He's the outreach coordinator at King of Glory Church in Sioux Falls, and he is uh, married to his beautiful wife, Danielle, and he's got three kids, and you'll never guess the names of their children, uh, because where did these names come from? Jonah, Ezra, Gideon. In addition to being uh, um, a man who loves Jesus, he's also co-creator of uh, Mark and Karen's grandkids, which they seem to adore. Dawson, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thanks, Bill. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and I assume uh, Danielle's parents, too. They're pretty nuts about the kids, right? Oh, they just, well, it's one of the reasons why we're down here in Sioux Falls is that uh, Danielle, you know, is a Lincoln High School alum and born and born and raised here, and uh, her, her parents are uh, definitely more thrilled than mine that we're, uh, that we're down here close to them, so. <laughs> well, I love the names. I love Jonah. Ezra Gideon. So maybe if you have one more kid, maybe name him Larry or something. Just to well, if we ever if we ever get to Habakkuk, it's going to be we've had too many kids. At that point. So, uh, we can't. We got to cut it off before we get to Habakkuk. So <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. So your dad, who's regularly on the show, uh, I'm just curious as to what he's like when he's around the grandkids. Does he do all kinds of uh, goofy things and make funny funny voices and all that? 
you know, I all, all I will say on that is that, you know, his students who are, you know, his freshman students who probably have a good deal of fear around him come <laughs> test time, they would not recognize the man around his grandkids. He's got a rubber face and he makes some of the silliest, you know, faces at the six month old Gideon, especially just loves him because he's just got that uh, the rubber, the rubber face with all the all the different expressions. So uh, he'd be much less intimidating if you saw him around around my kids. Yeah, and uses lots of crazy, funny voices and all that as well. You know, yeah, you know, the voices, I would say he's more of a sound effects guy. Okay. Honestly, you know, he does, you know, a lot of truck noises and, <laughs> just, you know, general gibberish. I mean, I can't really put my finger on it. There are things that it's like, I just, I never saw, you know, I, I'm sure he did it when I was a baby too. I just never saw that side of him in my memory, you know, and to see him act that way, you know, it, it, it does, it, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, uh, his, his respectability might go down a little bit, but his, you know, he, he's definitely more amicable, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know around the grandkids. So. Well, I had to ask that. I knew that would make me smile. And so I appreciate you, right. uh, right. you giving me the dirt on that. So, oh, uh, yeah. talk about, uh, what's going on in your ministry right now. And uh, just, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about, uh, just what you're doing in Sioux Falls. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as as with everyone, it's it's just completely different, you know, than than it was a month ago, just with all this, you know, COVID stuff going around. Um, basically, the the present for me right now, um, you know, Sioux Falls is a really cool town, uh, Bill. And, uh, you know, we, uh, the church that I work for, um, we've, we've, we're part of a coalition uh, with, I think we have at least 40 other churches that, that are a part of this. It's called Corona Help Sioux Falls. And so just about all of my hours at the church are going towards just COVID response, um, getting, you know, supplies to people um, who, who need them. And it's just been a phenomenal coordinating of, of churches, um, down, down here in Sioux Falls. And I think it's really been just a a phenomenal testimony to, to the community to see, um, how well, you know, the church capital C in, in Sioux Falls is, uh, is meeting, you know, everything that's, that's happening. So that's the present, um, you know, before all this COVID stuff hit, um, you know, I was basically just in charge of anything outside the walls of, of King of Glory. We have, uh, love teams that are basically just volunteer groups that we would send out in the community. And we had five community partners and, and I, I basically was just coordinating between, you know, we were, um, we have folks at, you know, a nursing home in town and we do mentoring at one of the local elementary schools. And so just making sure that the relationship between the church and the, and the organizations we work with is good and, and just finding the right volunteers to, to plug into to various opportunities. So that's the, the main thrust of, of, of what I'm doing over there. You know, it's interesting, Dawson, because I sent you a, a list of a couple of ideas and I said, but I'm real curious as to what you've been thinking about lately, because, you know, this is our first time on the air and I first just want to get to know you and tell you how fond I am of you already. Um, but also I gave you some uh, leeway and you said, well, here are a couple of things I've been thinking about lately. And, and here, here they are, finding peace in uncertain times. What does authentic relationship look like? Healing from bitterness and pursuing humility. And guess which one I picked? I picked healing from bitterness. And I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know why I picked that one. No, that's, that's okay. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, I think that, um, you know, bitterness is such a legacy thing, you know, that, that when you see bitterness, it's, it's usually not just 
you know, one individual within a family who, who struggles with bitterness. You know, you look at families as a whole and, you know, you just see that there's a lack of cohesion and that there are just, you know, 25 year old hatchets that, that never got buried. Mm. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I kind of lock in on that one as, you know, a root issue for, you know, so many other, I would call like surface issues, you know, you get down to the root of it and it's like, well, gosh, there's just a, a lot of bitterness festering in, in, in this relationship. So that's, that's something that, you know, and, and even I, looking at myself, you know, you, you, you think about the things that you're prone to. And, um, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, Bill, I mean, me at my worst self, you know, I'm, I'm someone who holds a grudge. I'm, I'm someone who, who struggles in this area. And so, um, so I, I need to kind of keep it front of mind, um, you know, for my own sake, as, as well as, you know, helping other people. So, um, so that's, that's why I thought of it. Yeah. Um, Dawson, how do feelings and emotions sort of sink and creep down into the, the root where all of a sudden you go, uh oh, there's bitterness there now. And it's a yeah. root. How does that yeah, happen? You know, you know, I, I can only speak for my, I can only speak for myself, but sure. you know, I, I think what makes bitterness so tricky is that especially with, you know, our Midwest, you know, you call it Minnesota nice up there down in South Dakota, we call it Midwest nice. Um, you know, that, that you think you're doing someone a service by not addressing conflict. Mm. Um, you, you almost have this attitude of, well, I'm going to take the high road and I'm going to be the better person. And what, what ends up happening is, you know, you, you start to get into a pattern with someone where, you know, there's been wrong done and, and you thinking that you're doing that person a service by not addressing it or that you're being the bigger man or, you know, however you want to, you want to phrase it. Um, you, you just, you, you try to, you know, take it on yourself and, you know, months, weeks, years later, um, you find that, oh my goodness, like I actually don't really even care to be around this person anymore. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, it, it almost sneaks up on you, you know, where it's like you, you don't even realize you're bitter until you're up to your eyeballs in it, you know? Well, oh. it's a lot of wisdom, Dawson. And I think I'll trace it back to what you said earlier. It might be part of a, a legacy almost. It, it could have been, this bitterness could have been something you observed as a younger kid. And you saw right. how it worked, you know, talking about the uh, conflict and you don't like that. So, um, right. yeah, you can start witnessing right. that at a young age. Absolutely. Well, and even just the things, you know, and I, I know that, you know, everyone, you know, at, or not everyone, but a good portion of folks in the listening audience, you know, know my dad from from being on the radio and, you know, know my family a little bit by by extension. But even just the things that you, un- like you said, unconsciously pick up as a kid you know, my, my parents aren't perfect. My dad's never come on the radio and made that claim. Um, and, and, you know, even just like, you know, identifying things that you've grown comfortable with growing up that, you know, as an adult, you look back and it's like, oh, that, that maybe wasn't the healthiest way to, to deal with that situation, or that probably could have been handled better, you know, just, just basic, you know, basic things like that. I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, but uh, but I think what what separates bitterness from other you know sins, other things that that people struggle with, is that it's it's very hard to identify it within yourself, and yet it's so easy to see it in somebody else. I mean, I'm sure anybody could could think of someone who they would consider to be a bitter person, whether it's a relative or you know an acquaintance. It it's almost like you can smell it on people when when they're bitter but then it takes quite a bit of intentional self-reflection 
to come to the realization that you yourself might be experiencing bitterness, if, if that makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. Um, and I want to explore that a little bit more after the break, uh, Dawson. And I also want to, when we come back, I want to talk about steps that we can take towards healing from bitterness, right. because that's, uh, I think that's pretty important. Uh, Dawson Muska is my guest. He's a pastor over at King of Glory in Sioux Falls. We'll be right back. the show. Dawson Muska is my guest. He is an outreach coordinator at King of Glory Church in Sioux Falls. Also happens to be the son of Dr. Mark Muska, who is a regular guest and friend of mine. So uh, Dawson, (laughs) let's talk about this healing from bitterness because we're all recognizing that we probably have some. And like you said, right before the break, it's kind of easy to pick out on somebody else. Right. So what? Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk Um, about these healing steps. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we, we alluded to it earlier. And, you know, I, I think that whenever you're trying to, to, to solve something, and just so you know, too, I think there's a practical component to this, and there's a there's a spiritual. So I'm, I'm going to start with the with the practical component. And that's, you know, finding the root of, of, you know, these, these feelings of bitterness. And, you know, at least in my own life, um, I've found that far often than not, you know, when, when I'm experiencing feelings of bitterness, there's, there's a pretty big um, pride root in that, you know, I find myself saying things like, well, I would never act that way, or I'm not in the wrong here, or they need to come to me first, you know, kind of putting yourself above the person that, that you're, that you're feeling these feelings towards. Mm-hmm. And um, the, you almost have to flip those statements on, on their head. And, and, you know, if I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest, Bill, you know, I, I would potentially act that way. And I am capable of, of acting, you know, however that person is acting towards me, I'm perfectly capable of acting that way towards them. And I very well might be in the wrong. And, you know, maybe I am the one that needs to take the first step and, and reach out. Maybe I've done something wrong that I need to apologize for. Um, so that, you know, just that, that knowledge of, you know, our own pride, I think is, is a first, you know, I've, I, it's been said before that awareness is 90% of the battle, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I think that that can, that can prove, that can prove true. Um, but then, you know, it's transitioning over to the, to the spiritual component of this, you know, just, just recognizing that um, no one's situation is irreconcilable. You know, if you're, if you're experiencing bitterness towards someone, I think that you want to, to take this stance of, well, the relationship's too far gone, or, you know, things have happened that, that, you know, that, that can't be, that can't be healed, you know, and you want to take this firm stance that, that it, that it's irreconcilable. And what, what I think of is, you know, the story I always think of is, you know, if, if you're familiar with the story of Corey Tinboom, you know, she was a Holocaust survivor. And, you know, she at one point in her life had the chance to forgive the guard who guarded her at, you know, the Nazi concentration camp that she was imprisoned in. And I think to myself, well, if Corey Tinboom, you know, was able to forgive this, this, uh, this SS guard who was guarding her, um, you know, I, I don't think anything in my, you know, framework of experience can even come close to, to that situation, you know, and mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, my, uh, my, my disagreement with my sister, you know, can't, can't compare yeah. to, to that, you know, 
And, and so, you know, just, just recognizing that, that your situation isn't, isn't irreconcilable. No one's situation is irreconcilable. And the, the scripture that I'm just drawn to is, you know, is James four, six, where, you know, basically says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace um, to, to the humble. And, um, you know, so finding that, that humility to, you know, see that maybe there is something that I did wrong in this situation, or, you know, maybe I do need to be the one to, you know, bring myself down and, and, and reach out. And, and ultimately, I think what I'm driving at is if there's, you know, festering bitterness in, in your life, um, you know, the first question I would ask is like, how long has it been since you've had contact with that person? And for a lot of people, it's been years. And, and so the first step to healing is, is just, you know, practically reaching out. Um, but then also just, you know, trusting that God's going to honor that action, whether or not there's actual reconciliation, he's going to heal the bitterness inside of you. If you, you know, if you humble yourself and, and, and reach out to the person who you have conflict mm-hmm. with. A courageous first step. I always think of the word bitter and I, I think of words like poisonous and venomous. And yeah. I think of how severe it is. And then I, I kind of drift towards um, the passage that says that we have to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice. And I think right. the answer might be, Dawson, of course, you're the expert, not me. Uh, in Ephesians 4, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, uh, God forgave you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and the beautiful thing about forgiveness, too, is that it doesn't have to be reciprocated. If you're able to extend, you know, a lot of people, you know, and that's the thing with bitterness is that, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, and I, I guess I shouldn't say you're trying to, but, but so often, you, you have these feelings that you're harboring, and you think you're projecting this malice towards this person that you're that you're feeling bitterness towards, when in reality, the person you're feeling bitter towards might not even know you know, that you're, you're, you know, poisoning yourself, you're damaging yourself. And, you know, the person who you're feeling bitterness towards, like, like a lot of times, you know, the, there, there's dialogue when that, when that dialogue actually starts, you know, the other person's like, well, why didn't you just tell me you were feeling this way? You know, they had no idea. And, um, and so, you know, the beautiful thing about forgiveness is that if you extend forgiveness to the person you're feeling bitter towards, even if that isn't reciprocated, you know, you still can be healed. Um, from from the bitterness that 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 you're feeling, so forgiveness, I think, is is absolutely a, a key word there. You you hit it on the head. Mm-hmm. Can you be bitter uh, towards God? Oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Um, and I think that's one of the hard ones because, um, or one of, I, I think that's the hard one um, because ultimately. Uh, you know, we we look at our circumstances, and as people of faith, or if you were raised in a a, a family that that went to church, and you know, sign- I mean, the, the reality is, Bill, that things horrible things happen. You know, every every day. I mean, we're experiencing that to some degree with this with this COVID you know pandemic that's that's coming through. Is that people are getting sick, people are being hospitalized, and you know, ultimately, if you go up the chain of command, I mean, who has ultimate authority over those situations? And if you're a believer i mean the the answer has to be god right mm-hmm. um, and um and so you know i i that that's it's absolutely possible and um you know ultimately it's it's something that i mean it's it's hard to make a blanket statement covering all of those you know specific hurts that people you know blame or or attribute to god but um but absolutely that that is that is a reality for for a lot of people mhm 
And if you continue down the bitterness road, uh, there will be horrible uh, side effects throughout your life. So it is something that you have to address as early as today. Right. Right. And I would say sooner rather than later, you know, because I, I think that, you know, bitterness is like cement. Um, the, the wetter it is, the, the, the more malleable, you know, it, it's, it, it, you can change your situation. Um, if you address it, the earlier you address it, the easier it is to change. Now that's not to say that, you know, if it's been years or even decades that you can't address that bitterness, but it might take a jackhammer. You know, it's not going to be an easy thing of just wading into it and, and figuring it out. You know, once that cement hardens, it's a much more involved process to, uh, to engage and, and ultimately, you know, heal from, from that, from that bitterness. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's something that should, you know, honestly, it's something that should be done yesterday. Um, but, but there's no, there's no day, there's no day like today to, to take a first step towards, um, towards, you know, reaching out to, to someone that you're feeling that you're feeling bitterness towards. And, and honestly, Bill too, I mean, it's, it's such a step of faith, um, because, you know, in the times of my life that I've, that I've experienced significant bitterness, you know, you almost reach out because you're supposed to, and it's like, well, gosh, I don't know what good it's going to do, but I suppose I'll reach out. And honestly, Bill, like some of the most powerful things that have happened in my personal faith life have been more or less the result of how the Holy Spirit has worked through, you know, just, you know, almost like a Hail Mary type of situation. <laughs> I guess I'll give it a try. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and just some of the coolest things have happened, um, you know, when you just put that faith in God where it's like, I don't see how this is going to get done, but I'm going to be faithful and, and try and reconcile this. Um, so. Well, I know yeah. God, God wants us to live in love and joy and peace, uh, but, and not in bitterness. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, no, absolutely. Yeah. Dawson, I have just so enjoyed uh, having you come on the show. I'd love to have you back. Um, it was uh, not that long ago. Uh, it was my birthday and on my birthday show, your dad was uh, my first guest and your mom shows up that day and delivers four cupcakes to me. Oh and I just fa- for you, just for me. And I found out that it is in fact possible to eat four cupcakes in 17 minutes. Well, there, you know, that is, I mean, that, that might, that, I don't think that would be a personal record for me, honestly, <laughs> but, uh, but it might be, I haven't actually put myself on the timer before. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Let's have you back. Absolutely. Absolutely, Bill. Thanks for having me. I'd love to come back anytime. That'd be great. Dawson Muska has been my guest. He's the outreach uh, pastor at King of Glory Church in Sioux Falls. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have George Barna as my guest. Can't wait.
Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to have George Barna back on. He's the founder of the Barna Group. I was just looking at his uh, website a little bit, and we have we have a few things in common. Let's see. He's written more than 50 books, and I've read almost 50 books, so that's kind of one thing in common. He also uh, grew up Catholic and uh, since has been an evangelical Christian for many, many years, since 1978. Also, the year he got saved was the year he got married to his lovely wife, Nancy. George, I'm telling you a lot about yourself. Oh, you're doing well so far. I mean, is it, is it kind of making you like, well, who is this guy, right? <laughs> well, uh, let's see where this goes. Yeah, yeah well, I, for sure. I, what I <laughs> what I want to ask you about is, because I, I, I grew up Catholic as well, um, so I'd love to hear your your coming to Jesus moment where you you knew you wanted to take uh, a personal, make a personal decision. And then I want to talk to you about other stuff, too. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, to uh, to try to collapse the whole story, just to make it fit in the radio context. Yeah. Uh, basically, grew up Catholic, you know, went to Catholic college, altar boy, you know, married by my cousin, the priest. I mean, I was really into it. But when we were getting married, we had to go through the required uh, premarital counseling sessions. And again, a longer story. But the end of that was that essentially when I met with the priest after we finished the counseling sessions, he said, yeah, you can get married. Do you have any questions? I'd waited all my life for, you know, a priest to ask me that. So I kind of unloaded on him. I had dozens of questions in my mind. And he wasn't paying attention to me, which I mistakenly took as a sign of, oh, he wants to hear all my questions. So I I kind of unloaded on him. And after three or four minutes, he kind of looked up at me because he'd just been sitting there signing papers. And uh, he looked up at me like I was a nutcase, which, you know, was probably true. But uh, he, he stood up, he got really upset, and he pounded his desk and he started yelling at me. And what he yelled was, uh, don't you ever, don't you ever question the Catholic Church. Your job is to come here when we tell you to come here, to believe what we teach you to believe, and that should answer all your questions. Anything else, son? Okay. And, uh, you know, I was in grad school at the time, and really all they teach in grad school is tear everything apart, see if it's real, see if you can put it back together. And at that point, I interpreted what he was saying as meaning you know what, there's something wrong with this faith. It doesn't work. So afterwards, my wife and I talked a long time about this, many conversations, and decided that we go on a search for God, which we did. And uh, what that meant was that we went to all of our friends and said, well, you know, we're kind of looking for God. Where do you go to church? And naive as we were, we were shocked that none of our friends went to church. We were the only ones. And so we finally found somebody that uh, I was working with and that my uh, another person my wife was working with who actually went to church. We went to their churches. At one of those, we saw the, the guy up front, you know, on what we called the altar as Catholics, doing something we'd never seen, which was taking the Bible, reading a passage, describing it, going back to the Bible, reading another passage, describing it. And uh, we thought, whoa, is this cool or what? because we'd never seen that done. And uh, on the way home after that first service where we'd experienced that, my wife said, well, uh, what do you think? Want to go to that church? I said, I don't know, but, uh, you know, if 
what this guy is doing has never been done before. I think we could market this. People would love this, you know, to know what's in the Bible. What an idea, you know. I mean, we had no idea about the Reformation and everything else that had taken place that led to that. But eventually uh, that pastor invited himself over to our house, and uh, he laid out the gospel for us. We didn't know it at the time. It was the Four Spiritual Laws presentation. And uh, when he was done, he said, so do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I looked at him, looked at the elderly, carted in with him, looked at my wife, and I said to him all that, I don't think so. But I tell you what, if this Jesus is half as cool as you've just described him as being, uh, he ought to be able to prove himself to me within the next month, don't you think? And, you know, he gulped, but to his credit, he said, tell you what, I want you to read the book of John every morning. Get up, read a chapter or two. I want you to come to church every week. I want you to come to the midweek Bible study I'm teaching. I want, I want you to pray to God every day that he'll reveal himself to you, and I want to be able to call you every week and talk to you about this journey that you want to go on. And I thought that was great. So, you know, I accepted that offer, and way before the month was up, Jesus was so real to me that we've never looked back. Wow, that's fantastic, George. Now, just for the sake of the discussion, uh, I grew up, and I was at the altar boy as well. Loved it. Yeah. I sang in the choir, which I loved. Um, my voice... I, w- I had my soprano voice through eighth grade, which was great, because that's the only that's the only voice I could hear in my head. You know, yeah. girls go through puberty between the ages of like ten and twelve. For boys, it's Tuesday at one thirty. Yeah. <laughs> but I I had a religion teacher in Catholic grade school that bought us Bibles had had us memorize First John one nine, and he said, you know, you've been raised to course believe in god but there comes a time when you make a decision on your own so you can accept jesus to be your personal lord and savior and literally george first time i heard that i thought oh oh my goodness this is the greatest news i've ever heard that i could have assurance of eternal life are you kidding me can i do it right now yeah now see the difference between you and me i was raised in new york so (laughs) that's a good point yeah, I, I was very skeptical when they first said that to me. My first thought wasn't, oh, my gosh, that's an incredible miracle. My first thought was, okay, what's the catch? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And, I, and I, I kept waiting for, okay, but you're going to have to give us your firstborn. But, you know, you're going to have to, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, it, when I discovered that it was like the free gift of God just – his grace given to me with no expectations other than that I would love him with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. It was like, wow, this is unbelievable. So we wound up in the same place, even though we got there different ways. Yeah. So, George, speaking of New York, do you have a lot of family there, and how are they weathering the uh, the COVID storm? Yeah, well, like us out here in California, they're locked inside, and mm-hmm. you know, some of them deal with it better than others. I'm an extreme introvert. So apart from the pain and suffering that people are going through, apart from the economic collapse that we're going to have to face really soon, I'm kind of loving being stuck at home. (laughs) I love this because I spend so much of my year traveling and speaking and all that, and that just wears you out. And so for me, this this is really a wonderful respite that gives me an opportunity to do some of the writing and thinking and reading that otherwise I wouldn't get to do. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about a study that you've done some work on, uh, and that is this question, is the Bible the Word of God? 
And only uh, 20% of fewer in the U.S. say yes than in 2000. I'd love to hear the research and the findings on that one. Yeah. Um, this is part of a larger study that we did that looks at how many people in America have a biblical worldview. And, of course, everybody has a worldview. The question is, which one? And so, you know, I'm a professor at Arizona Christian University, and I lead the Cultural Research Center there. And this was our first annual American worldview inventory, where we're trying to track what's going on in terms of the percentage of American adults who have a biblical worldview, which simply means that given that your worldview is the mental, emotional, and spiritual filter through which you see and understand and interpret and respond to the world, everybody has such a worldview, but not that many actually have that kind of a filter that's based completely or or primarily on what the Bible teaches, biblical principles and precepts and commands. And what we discovered is that when you begin to look at all the different things that would make up a biblical worldview, of course, a, a major part of that has to do with what you believe about the Bible. So we looked at a number of different beliefs that people have regarding the Bible. And one of the things that we discovered is that there are all kinds of different views. Only uh, 21% of adults believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God that has no errors, although it may contain some symbolism. Another 20% believe that the Bible is the actual true Word of God that should be taken literally word for word. And there, after that, you've got a bunch of different kind of non-biblical uh, perspectives, such as, well, it may be the inspired Word of God, but it's got errors, or it's just one of many holy books that provide religious teaching, none are better than the others. That's about 15% of the population. you got another 6% who would say the Bible is inspired by God, but all it does is tell us how the authors interpreted reality. That's about 6%. you got another 8% who say it's a useful or valuable text that's helped societies to develop, but it's neither divine nor inspired. Then you got another 7% who say it's a book of fables and myths that has little or any basis uh, in reality. And then 9% say, I don't have a clue what the Bible is. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where America falls out. There's all kinds of perspectives. And then if you look at those, you know, four out of 10 who would say that the Bible is true, you've got about half who say the Bible is the Word of God. Um, you know, you start breaking that down into what else they believe about the Bible. And before you know it, you're down to just a handful who really have embraced what the Bible teaches, not only about itself, but about God and life. Hmm, really interesting. So... When you hear people say, I really think for myself, I, I wonder, is that even possible? I mean, when you say you're thinking for yourself, aren't you just kind of deciding what thoughts and beliefs you're going to align yourself with that already are out there? Yeah, you know, depending on where you come from spiritually, you know, there's a lot of us that say that you're influenced by two powerful spiritual beings. There, There's God and there's Satan. And, you know, your perspectives 
are being influenced by where you fall on that continuum of how much you buy into uh, a holy, omnipotent, omniscient, just God, or how much you believe that there is no such creature, that really it's all about you, which is a perspective that, you know, biblically speaking, we would say is driven by Satan, uh, an idea that was planted in your mind and heart by Satan. That's not a biblical, not a godly or Christian perspective. So you're going to be somewhere on a continuum related to everything that you think. And, and Bill, one of the things that I've come to learn, you know, I've been studying worldview in America for more than a quarter of a century now. And one of the things that I've learned after interviewing tens and tens of thousands of people on this subject matter is that nobody, at least nobody that I've yet encountered through any of our, our surveys, has a pure worldview. Everybody's worldview is a mashup, you know, a combination of ideas that we draw from different worldviews. And so everybody I've met has some elements of maybe postmodernism or secular humanism or, uh, you know, a biblical worldview or modern mysticism. And what happens is we get exposed to all these different ideas, all these different concepts, and we pick and choose the ones that we like, which goes back to what you were talking about. Uh, you know, I'm going to think for myself, I'm going to make my decisions, you know, and, and we would call that free will. God allows you to make those kind of decisions. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if you know that God exists, if you own a Bible, you read a Bible, you believe the Bible is the true and inspired Word of God, that every concept that you have about how life works is biblical. And what we found is that that's not the case. So when we go about measuring how many people have a biblical worldview, and by the way, in America right now, we would we would say or estimate that it's at about 6% of the adult population. That's half of what it was when I started measuring this 25 years ago. But even that 6% doesn't have a pure biblical worldview. The way that, that we classify people by their worldview is which one dominates your thinking. And so to have a biblical worldview, if 80% of the beliefs we measured and 80% of the life behaviors we measure are in concert with biblical principles, we would classify someone as having a biblical worldview. Only God knows. You know, research is always just an estimate of reality. But, uh, you know, that's how we go about looking at this is that you really, if, if you're going to get a good grip on someone's worldview, you've got to measure not just beliefs, which I think is a mistake some research makes, but you've also got to look at behavior because you do what you believe. So if your behavior doesn't demonstrate what it is that you claim you believe, then you don't really believe that. Mm-hmm. George Barna is my guest. We're going to take a little break. We'll be back in 90 seconds with lots more. guest is Dr. George Barna. He is the director of research at the Cultural Research Center and a professor at Arizona Christian University. 
He is also the founder of the Barna Group, and he's uh, often uh, called the most quoted person in the Christian church today. It's kind of a cool title. It makes me laugh a little. So, yeah, George, talk about the difference between, because I know this can be uh, tricky at times, uh, a Christian worldview versus a biblical worldview. Because sometimes when I heard I have a Christian worldview, I go, hmm, that doesn't tell me everything I want to know. Yeah, I mean, we very purposefully use biblical rather than Christian, uh, because what I've found over the years is that many people who say they have a Christian worldview, it's kind of the same perspective as the fact that 71% of the adults in America today consider themselves to be Christian. Mm -hmm. Although when you look at those who would say, for instance, that uh, they know that when they die, they're going to go to heaven, but only because they've confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that there's no other way to experience eternal salvation but through God's grace, as we were talking about earlier. And uh, so, you know, that, that's only 19% of the population. So you got 7 out of 10 who call themselves Christians, only 2 out of 10 uh, who, uh, excuse me, 3 out of 10, who know Christ as their Savior. Well, to me, I don't think you can really describe yourself as a Christian unless you're really following Christ. You're really relying upon Christ. And so we've also looked at this idea of worldview and said, well, a lot of people have a Christian worldview, and as we've tested it, what that means to them is that people are good, uh, you know, and there are a lot of other non-biblical ideas, that there are many different ways to experiencing eternal salvation, doesn't have to be through Christ and so forth, you know, but they believe in Christ. So they would say they have a Christian worldview. By a biblical worldview, what we mean is, okay, let's dive into the Word that God gave to us, the Bible, and figure out exactly what has He said about the way we should live, the different situations we'll encounter, how we should respond to them, what kind of person we should become in terms of our character and our beliefs. Uh, what's our purpose here on earth? Is it is it happiness? Is it self-satisfaction? Is it acquisition of possessions? Is it knowing, loving, and serving God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul? I mean, what is your purpose here? And is it God-given, or are you determining that? It's the same kind of concern that I have about many Christian churches in America who have pastors who, when I talk to them about the vision for the ministry of the church that they lead, they describe to me their vision. And i got to tell you, Bill, that's not a church that I'm interested in going to. Mm. If you, as the leader of that church, haven't spent hours and hours and hours on your knees begging God and reading His Word for hours and hours and hours, trying to figure out, God, what is the unique call that you have for this church that I believe you've called me here to lead? Tell me God's vision for that church, not your vision. I don't care about your vision. What I want to do is be part of the church that was called there by God, and that is devoting themselves to God's vision. That's a, a biblical church, as opposed to perhaps a Christian church. Mm-hmm. George, your honesty is kind when you said that. Here's something that you, <laughs> here's something that you said. I know you're often quoted, and I don't know when you 
write these quotable things? Are you drinking coffee or are you in your Ferrari? I don't know when you make these quotes up. But you say Christian churches cannot keep doing what we've been doing in the ministry for the past 30 years and assuming that things will get better. You talked about the consequence of the ineffective ministry strategies is obvious. Americans have embraced alternative worldviews that are destroying our country on every front. And I think to myself, that's just what you said. You can't sit around talking about your vision. It has to be what is coming out of the Word and God, and what is the calling on your life? Well, and Bill, let me give you another example of how deep the, the, the crisis is that the American church faces. We did uh, a study several years in a row where we took large national samples of uh, senior pastors at theologically conservative churches. And and by theologically conservative, what we mean is that they believe in God, they believe that Christ is the only way, they believe that the Bible is the uh, inspired and inerrant Word of God. So these are churches that, that are on the right path, I would say, in, in terms of knowing God and serving Him appropriately. We ask those pastors, how is your church doing? Would you say that it's a successful ministry? More than 80% of them said, yes, we're successful. All right, we took that at face value, but we followed it up and said, how do you know? How do you define what success is in your ministry? And what we found was that for the vast majority of senior pastors of theologically conservative churches, Protestant churches in this country, what we found is there were five things that they look at. The number of people that show up, the amount of money they raise, the number of programs they can offer, the number of staff people they've been able to hire for those programs and the amount of square footage that they built out on the campus. Now, understand, I'm a measurement guy, so I'm really happy that churches are measuring things. But the reality is you get what you measure. And when you look at those five things, attendance, dollars, program, staff, square footage, Jesus didn't die on the cross for any of those things. Hmm. And so for us to put those up there and say, these are the things we measure to figure out if we're successful, no wonder we're losing ground in American society. No wonder the culture around us is turning its back on the church and doing whatever the world they please, because we can't possibly give them guidance when we think those are the things that really matter. George, what you said is so important. I appreciate the way you expressed it and the five points you gave, because I will need to go back over those one more time and, and, uh, and, and learn from that. It's a uh, really smart, um, but as the culture starts to take in more items from the, the, the banquet of what, what's going on in the world today, and they bring those ideas into the church, and then they start to fight the church about what they're learning in the outside world, and they say, well, I want to be on the right side of history, which just makes everything a big mess. So if the churches are not standing up for biblical truth, there's going to be more problems down the road, isn't there? Well, it is. And to me, this goes back to an underlying issue that we've never really addressed, which is that so many of the individuals who are in positions of leadership in our churches aren't called by God and gifted by God as leaders. They're good people. They're smart people. They're committed people. Mm -hmm. But there's a massive difference between, let's say, being called and gifted as a teacher and being called and gifted as a leader. And so part of the problem that we face in this country is that, uh, frankly, my research shows that most of our senior pastors are called and gifted as preachers or teachers or counselors, 
and that's great. We really need those people to be serving God and serving God's people. But we need leaders to be showing us the way to go, to identify God's vision, because that's the air that a leader breathes. You've got nothing as a leader if you don't have vision. As a Christian leader, if you don't have God's vision, you don't have anything. Mm -hmm. And so we need those people leading us forward, helping us to understand who we want to be, how we're going to get there, talking about the strategies for becoming God's people, genuinely as people, not just folks that attend events. And, And so until we address the leadership issue, I think a lot of these other things are going to continue. Because when you have a teacher who, because of the model of ministry we have in our churches, has to pretend to be a leader in order to get the position, in order to use his or her gifts, you've also, though, got to look at the the nature of what a teacher is and what success is to a teacher. It's very different than to a leader. And so teachers don't want to see the crowd shrink. Because to a teacher, having more people getting the information that they're excited to communicate is really what the game is all about. To a leader, he or she would rather have a smaller band of zealots who are ready to go to battle than to fill up the auditorium with a bunch of onlookers. Wow, George, you're a delight. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thanks so much. It's been yeah. great to be with have you. Have a great night. George Barna has been my guest. Uh, That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks uh, to all my guests. It was really a great day. I enjoyed being with you. I will see you tomorrow. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.